Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. Today we're going to discuss the Elimelech family in Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to take a look at some decisions that this family made that led this family to destruction. The title of the message today is Lessons from the Land of Moab. Enjoy. Ruth chapter number one this morning, and uh, we're going to read the first five verses with Ruth. I'm going to invite you, if you're physically able, to stand one last time for the reading of the Word of God. The Bible says in the book of Ruth in chapter one, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died, also both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. The title of the message this morning is Lessons from the Land of Moab. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd be with the message this morning. I pray that you'd bless it. And I pray that you'd uh, be with us as a people. Help us to be open and receptive to the word of God. Thank you once again for all you've done for us. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. What I'm going to do this morning, a little more than preaching, uh, preaching a sermon, is we're going to do a little Bible study here in this first five verses of the book of Ruth. And uh, a couple things I want to start out by saying is that the book of Ruth is the only book in the Old Testament that's named after someone that's not an Israelite. Uh, It's the only one that's named after a Gentile or someone that is not an Israelite. And in fact, we are reminded 14 times in the book of Ruth, we're reminded that Ruth was a Moabitess or that Ruth was from the land of Moab. And, you know, that's pretty significant. It's significant because um, Ruth, for the Jews, that's an impossibility. Ruth was an impossibility for the Jews. You understand the fact that they would have in their word, in their Bible, in their word of God, they'd have uh, a, a book named after someone who wasn't an Israelite. That was unheard of. And even unheard of even further is the fact that that Ruth would come in and she would be in the lineage of the great King David and that she would be in the lineage of the Messiah. This is something that the Israelites were like, whoa, this is something that couldn't happen. See, that's why it's so amazing. Excuse me. And it's so amazing that 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 could even happen. The Jews would never consider that to happen. So that's why it's significant that Ruth is even in the Bible in the first place. Now, the people of Moab, I want you to understand this morning, the people of Moab had a curse upon them. 
The Moabites are known throughout the word of God as being the enemies of God. They were the enemies of God. So the fact that God would use a Moabitess woman by the name of Ruth to do his will and do his work, that was an amazing thing. It was a very, very amazing thing this morning. Now, I want you to look back at the first verse. <clears throat> I want you to see that it says, Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. You know, if, if, if I had to put a timeline on the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, we know, first of all, the book of Ruth takes place in the book of Judges. <clears throat> and if I had to put a timeline on it, it would take place between, the, if, between Judges chapter 2 and Judges chapter 10. Somewhere between Judges chapter 2 and Judges chapter 10 is where Ruth takes place. Now, the book of Judges is an interesting, interesting study. We've been going through the book of Judges in Sunday school for some time now. And, uh, you know, the, if you wanted to sum the book of Judges up in one verse, it would be the very last verse of Judges. I want you to look at it. If you're at Ruth 1, then you're probably one page away from the last verse of the book of Judges. And in Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. If you want the study, the, the story of the book of Judges, there it is right there. The story of the book of Judges that every man did that which was right in their own eyes and there was no king. Like I said, we've been going through the book of Judges and how it goes in the book of Judges is you read a chapter and you think, man, things are bad. There's no way things could get much worse. And then you read the next chapter and it finds a way to get worse. That's literally what the book of Judges is. It just finds a way to get worse. And you read it and you shake your head because things just keep getting worse and worse and worse, and the book of Judges has been called the soap opera of the Bible. It's the days of our lives of the Word of God. And, you know, uh, uh, when you've got heroes in your book like Samson and Gideon, you know you're in trouble. When Samson's the hero of the book and Gideon's the hero of the book, oh, Gideon started out good, but if you read it, Gideon didn't end too well. And when you've got heroes in your book like Samson and Gideon, well, that tells the story right there of the book of Judges. You see, people in the book of Judges were spiraling out of control. And the reason why they were spiraling out of control is because they had no king. They had no King David. They had no King Josiah. And even, in fact, they did not have the king of glory. Let me tell you something. God wanted to rule over Israel as the king. He did not want a man to be king. God wanted a theocracy. God wanted to be king over Israel. And, and that's kind of how God wanted it to be. But what good is having God as your king if you never listen to him? And so even though God was set up as the king, the people never listened to God. They always did what was right in their own eyes. So it was if they had no king. And, and what, would, what happens when there's no authority in your life, when there's no authority in our lives, we as humans set ourselves as the standard. 
And that's what happened. And this is reflected a lot in our society today. Humans say, I don't want a God telling me how to live. I don't want a God telling me what to do. I want to make my own decisions. I want to decide my own direction in life. And then we become the standard. And then that's when we start to spiral out of control. So in the book of Judges here, we have a people that are in complete and utter chaos. And it is because they did that which was right in their own eyes. I want you to see also in the first verse it says there was a famine in the land. Now this was a society that was doing their own thing and then we see there's a famine in the land. Well of course there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land because in Leviticus 25 and 26 of the many ways that God said he would deal with this people one of the ways was a famine. He said, you know what, if you're going to abandon me, then I'm going to deal with you. And one of the many ways he promised he would deal with the children of Israel was a famine. Now, uh, uh, so this thing, this thing of, of, of uh, them being in famine, it wasn't an accident. They were in famine because God was bringing judgment upon the children of Israel for abandoning him. Now, when it comes to the judgment of God... We have to get an understanding of this thing. We have to wrap our heads around it. In the Old Testament, God would deal with his people in the form of famines and earthquakes and floods and etc. Because that's what he said he would do. Now there is coming a time in the end times when God will do this again. When God will deal with, his, deal with the world in earthquakes and floods and, 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 and things like that. And there is coming a time at the end times when God will do that again. But you understand, we're not going to turn there, but you understand in Romans chapter 1, it tells us how God judges people today in our time frame. Romans chapter 1 tells us how, how God judges us today. You know, it's so easy when we hear of a hurricane hitting a city to pass judgment on that city. And when we hear, oh, there was an earthquake in California. Oh, I bet there was an earthquake in that, uh, that liberal God-hating state of California. I bet there was an earthquake over there. And when we hear someone, uh, there's an earthquake, there's a hurricane, there's a tornado, there's a volcano, we're quick to pass judgment that that's God judging that place or that city. But I want you to understand this morning that earthquakes don't just happen to wicked people. Earthquakes happen to godly people too. Earthquakes, uh, hurricane, ha testify of hurricanes happen to godly people too, praise the Lord. You know, a uh, little Katrina testimony there. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, earthquakes, floods, volcanoes, all this stuff that happens to righteous people too. I want you to understand this morning that Romans chapter 1 tells us what the judgment of God looks like in our day. And it tells us, that, it tells us how people that abandon the word of God just like they do in the book of Judges. And, and, and you know what Romans chapter 1 says? It doesn't say that God's going to send a fire. It doesn't say that God's judgment today is going to send a flood. It doesn't say that God's judgment for us today is not an earthquake. What it tells us in Romans chapter 1, what God's judgment looks like, is it says, and God will give them over. Four times in Romans chapter 1, God says, I will give them over. 
Basically, what God is saying, if you're going to abandon me and you're going to run after unrighteousness and you're going to run after wickedness, then I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to give you what you ask for. So when you get to the end of Romans chapter 1, you're looking at a society that is really, really frightening. Because what you get is, listen to this, you get a society that is overrun with wickedness. You get a society that is overrun with uncleanness. You get a society that is overrun with immorality. A society that is overrun with danger. A society that is overrun with murder. And does that sound familiar to you? Because it is the state in which we live in today. It is the country that me and you are in today. A society that is overrun with murder, overrun with wickedness, overrun with danger, overrun with immorality. And this is God passing judgment today. God said four times in Romans chapter 1, and I will give them over. And I can think of nothing worse than, I can think of something worse than an earthquake. And that is a society that is bursting at the seams with its own wickedness. And that is the judgment that we are in today. God here says, if you're gonna, if 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 you're gonna if you're gonna live without me and you're gonna abandon me, then I'm gonna give you to over to your own wickedness. But in the time of the root, in time of Ruth in the Old Testament, God says, if you're gonna abandon me and you're gonna live without me, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you over to a famine. Now here's the thing. When the famine comes in mind in your life, that's when we find out what kind of Christian we really are. We find out what kind of Christian we really are when the famine comes in our life. If you look in verse number two, we see the name of the man was Elimelech. Names were incredibly important in the Old Testament. Um, they were chosen to describe, describe someone's lifestyle. They were chosen to describe someone's character. It was kind of like a nickname is today. You understand that in the Old Testament, when you knew somebody's name, you knew them in a special way. When you knew someone's name, you knew them in a unique way because their name told you a lot about them. Now, the name Elimelech, Elimelech means God is my king. Elimelech literally means God is my king. So just by his name... That tells me some things about Elimelech. One of the things that it tells me about Elimelech is Elimelech had a good mom and dad who wanted to raise their son up to say Jehovah is king. And they wanted to raise up a son that, 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 that followed after God. And they wanted to raise up a son that, that lived after God, that, that sought the things of God. But you know, I'm afraid as we study Ruth 1, even though Elimelech means God is my king, as we study Ruth 1, I think you're going to see that really his name kind of should have been my wallet is my king. Now, you know, so here we have, the next we see here is the name of his wife was Naomi. Now, you know what Naomi means? Naomi means sweet and pleasant. That's what Naomi means. So, so far, if, 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 if we've got a family here that is living up to their names, then we've got a good family. We've got a dad that's going to stand up and say, God is my king and he is my ruler and I live my, my life by him and I'm going to serve my God and he is going to be my king and he is going to be in charge of my house. 
If we have a wife that is living up to her name, she's going to be sweet and she's going to be pleasant and her desire is going to be for her husband and she's going to love God and she's going to love her husband and, and she's going to stand behind him and lift him up and praise God. If we have a family that is living up to their names today, then we have a pretty good family. Well, let's continue on. The name of his two sons were Malon and Killian. Now, Malon means to be sickly. It means to be sick, sickly. There's no way to know this for sure, but, you know, it is a very good possibility that possibly when he was born, he was born with a sickness. It could be he was born with a disease. And maybe it's a very good possibility that the doctors and the mom and dad did not know that this child would survive. But you know what? Uh, he did survive. So that could be a name, could be a testament to that. And next we have the, the, the second boy. His name was named Killian. Now Killian literally means pining. And it's attached to the word annihilation. So why you would name one son sickness and the other son destruction, I'm not sure. Uh, but after all, they were boys. Sometimes I think my little one, his name is destruction. Amen. The little redheaded one. You might knew him. And, uh, you know, so but 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 here the thing and, you know, hindsight is 2020. You look back at these names of these boys and they were kind of prophetic. There was a reason these boys were given these names. It was kind of prophetic in a sense. I also want you to see in these verses that we read that they were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. Now that's significant too. The reason why that's significant is because do you know who the founding fathers of, of Bethlehem, who, uh, who they came from? The founding fathers of Bethlehem came from a man, you might recognize him, his name was Caleb. Caleb, now there are many Calebs in the Bible, but the Caleb that I'm talking about is the Caleb that looked up and said, I want that mountain. And he's the same Caleb that came back with the said, while all the others said, no, we can't take the land. Caleb said, yes, we can take the land. This is the same Caleb that I'm talking about. This, this, the descendants of Caleb were the ones who founded the city of Bethlehem. I want you to know this morning that Caleb was married to a woman named Ephra. So when we see that this is a family that were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, they were direct descendants of Caleb, this was an important family. This was an important family in Israel. This family, uh, this was a special family. This was a well-known family. We, found, we find out later in chapter 4 of this book that the, that, the, uh, that the famine was so bad that Elimelech had to sell his land. Now that is a low, low spot to be. That is a low, low spot to be. He had to sell off his plot of land so someone else could work it because he could no longer, affect, uh, he could no longer afford to work it. Now, Maybe in the back of his mind was the fact, okay, according to the word of God, after 50 years, my family gets that land back. But that knowledge didn't do him any good today. That knowledge didn't serve him any good today. That knowledge that in 50 years, my family's going to get that land back, that didn't do him a bit of good in this situation. 
The famine was so intense that the land had to be sold. And you know what the next step was for Elimelech? If, if the selling of the land didn't work, you know what the next step was for him? Slavery. He would have to sell himself into slavery. So Elimelech is coming to the end of the rope. I want you to see the verse says, And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Let's talk about Moab for a second. Moab was a three-day journey from Bethlehem. As the crow flies, it was 60 to 70 kilometers away. Now, there are Bible professors and there are, and there are Bible scholars that will scoff at this and they will say, you mean to tell me that there was a famine in Bethlehem, but there was not a famine in Moab 60 kilometers away? Well, you know, here's the thing. The thing is, is that me and you, we live in the United States and we know firsthand elevation has a lot to do with climate. Man, you can be in one place and you can go just a little, ba little ways over here and the elevation will go up or the elevation will go down and the climate will change like that. Another thing you have to consider is that what one of the things that separated Bethlehem from the land of Moab was the Dead Sea. That can also have a lot to do with climate. So, so yes, it is true. There was a famine in Bethlehem, but there was not in Moab. Okay, so uh, there's a big difference there. So what could, could you imagine today? Could you imagine Elimelech going into the sanctuary? Elimelech sitting down with a rabbi. Hey, come here, rabbi. I need to talk to you. And all oh, Elimelech, he gets the rabbi's attention and he goes over to he goes over to uh, uh, the rabbi and says, you know what? Um. I'm thinking about taking my family down to Moab. I'm thinking about doing that. What does the rabbi do? The rabbi goes over to a, to, a, to a closet and he pulls out a scroll. He opens that scroll up and that scroll is Deuteronomy 7. And it says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You know, we have a problem with thou shalt nots today. We have a serious problem with thou shalt not. And what that rabbi told Elimelech, he said, Elimelech, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go down to the land of Moab and your boys are going to grow up and they're going to look at a pretty girl and their hearts are going to go thump, thump, thump. And then they're going to say, wilt thou? And they're going to say, thou wilt. And then what's going to happen is your boys are going to marry Moabite women. And that is against the word of God. The word of God specifically says that us Jews are not to marry non-Jewish people. It says that in the Bible. But if you could, I, I, can, I can hear it now. I can imagine, I can imagine his, Elimelech's response to this. He hears this and he says, Rabbi, I've prayed about it and I've got peace. I've got peace, Rabbi. I've prayed about it. I know it doesn't sound right, but you know what? God gave me peace about it. Let me tell you something. If, God, if you've got peace about something that's against the word of God, bless God, you've got the wrong peace. You've got the wrong peace because the true peace of God, God is not going to go against this Bible. So what we have here is we have a family that is headed to Moab, a place they know they shouldn't be, 
but they're headed down to Moab. Here in Ruth chapter 1, we have a family that is about to make some choices. And these choices are going to lead this family to destruction. And these same choices lead families today to destruction every single day. And what I had this morning, I've got six choices. I've got six choices that Elimelech makes and then his family makes. And each one of these choices are going to bring Elimelech's family further and further and further away from God. I want you to see number one, the first choice. I will leave Bethlehem, Judah. I will leave Bethlehem, Judah. You know what, uh, you know what the name Bethlehem means? It means that Bethlehem, Judah, it means the house of bread and the house of praise. The house of bread and the house of praise. So what this dad is saying here is says, I am, I'm willing to leave the house of bread. I'm willing to leave the house of praise. I'm willing to entertain this thought because, number one, I need the money. I'm a, I'm a financial situation. I've got a, I've got a financial problem in my life. And, 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 and you understand that when they go to the, to the land of Moab, they are not going to get fed the word of God. When they go to the land of Moab, they are not going to, there's no place in Moab to worship the true God of Israel. They're not, there's no place in, in Moab to bow their knee to the God of Israel. In fact, the Moabites, they worshiped an idol named Chemosh. They worshiped an idol named Chemosh. He is saying, what, he, what this dad is saying, I don't need the house of bread. I don't need the house of praise. You know, that's always the first step, isn't it? And all, the first step is always a man says, you know what? I don't need my local church. I don't need a place where I can get fed the bread of life. I don't need a place where God's people can gather together and sing, vo and sing praises in their voices and gather their voices and sing praises to God. I don't need that. Let me tell you something. Our Bethlehem Judah today, our house of praise, our house of bread is the local New Testament church. That's what our Bethlehem Judah is today. And when we make the decision, I don't need the house of God. When we make the decision, I don't need the house of bread. I don't need the house of praise. When we make the decision, I don't need church. That is a first step in a life of ruin. It is a first step in a life of destruction. Some people say, oh, I can get close to God on the lake fishing. I can get close to God on my lazy boy at the house watching the game. I can, I, I can get close to God after I wake up from my Sunday nap. I'm sorry, you can't do that because let me tell you something about church. Church was not man's idea. Church was God's idea. Uh, they, you know, I've got stuff to do at the house. I got to change a light bulb. I got to nail something. I got stuff to do. You know, but you know what? Uh, uh, church wasn't my idea. I didn't come up with the concept of church. God came up with the concept of church. And, and I want to tell you today that uh, the Bible doesn't say disobey the word. 
The Bible says to obey the word. And this book here says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That is assembling yourselves in the local New Testament church. Let me tell you something. A child needs milk to grow. An adult needs meat to grow. And where you're going to get your spiritual milk and where you're going to get your spiritual meat is the house of God. It is a local New Testament church. And when you get to the point in your life where you say, I don't need the house of bread, I don't need the house of praise, then bless God, that's the first step to a life of ruin. Let's look at the second choice here. He was willing to go to Moab. He was willing to go to Moab. I want you to look how the Bible says it. It says, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, uh, what Elimelech did not do is he did not go in, sit down with his wife and kids and say, listen, guys, we're going to turn our backs on the God of Israel. We're going to run to the heathen land of Moab and we're going to bow down to the first idol we see. That is not what he did. Of course he didn't say that. Of course he didn't. Of course he didn't say that. I want you to see there that it says he went to the country. He went to the country. It didn't say he went to the big cities. It didn't say he went to the pagan temples. He said, oh, we're just going to go down to the country. We're going to go down there into the country and we're going to find ourselves a little cottage. We're going to go out, wave out in the country and find ourselves a little ranch. And we're going to stay away from those big dirty cities. And we're going to stay away from those pagan temples of Moab. You know, you know what sojourn means? Sojourn means temporary. It means temporary. It means we're not going to join you. We're not going to move here permanently. We're just going to sojourn here. We're just staying for a short time. So what he's saying is, it's okay as long as I stay in the country, as long as I stay out of the big cities, and it's okay as long as it's just for a short season. You know, if we read the whole Bible, and we start at Genesis 1, and we read all the way through to Ruth 1, when we read this story, we'd stop and say, hmm, this sounds familiar. I've read this story before. In fact, if you think about it, all this started back in Genesis 13. In Genesis 13, there was a young man named Lot, and there was his uncle Abram, and they had, uh, and they had some servants that didn't get along. And said, oh, you know, we, we need to go our own separate ways. And Lot looked out, and I want you to see that the Bible doesn't say that, 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 Lot, uh, that Lot moved into Sodom. It doesn't say that he moved into Gomorrah. You know where Lot started out? That Lot started out in the plains. He started out in the woods. He started out in the countryside. And the Bible says that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. So Lot started out in the countryside. But you know what? The next time we see Lot, he's living inside the city. Next time we see Lot, he is smack dab in the middle of the city. Okay, so first we say it's okay to leave the house of bread and praise. Next we say it's okay to go to Moab as long as I stay in the country and as long as it's for a short time. Let's continue on. And the Bible says, and, and, they, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. 
So, so first, in verse number one, it started with the word sojourn, and now it's progressed to the word continue. You know, uh, we, you know what? Uh, can the word continue? It changes temporary. It changes. It changes things from temporary to indefinite. First, we were temporary. It's just going to be a short time. Now we're indefinite. We're not going to stay here. I don't. We're, this is going to be a little longer than expected. I don't know when we're going to leave, but we're not going to stay here. We're going to leave one day. It's went from temporary to indefinite. So what do we have here? First, we have, we say, okay. First, I'm going I'm to leave the house of bread and I'm going to leave the house of praise. Next, I'm going to sojourn in the land. It's just going to be temporary. I'm going to stay in the country. And now we've progressed to continue. I'm going to continue there. Now, I don't know when I'm going to leave. It's going to be a little bit longer than I thought, but I am going to leave one day. So we've went from sojourn to continue. And then number four, I want you to see that he was buried there. He was buried there. Verse number three. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. I want you to understand this morning that when, they, when an Israelite is born in a foreign land, that, uh, that, that when an Israelite is buried in a foreign land, it is a great curse. It is a great curse to be, born, to be buried in a foreign land. And you want to look at Naomi and say, Naomi, what are you doing? What are you doing, Naomi? It's only a three-day journey. Na Naomi, it's going to take you three or four days to take Elimelech back and bury him there. What are you doing? You know, Amos 7.17 tells us that to bury an Israelite in a foreign land is a curse. There's a curse for that to happen. Can you remember Joseph? Can, can, can you remember back to Genesis 50 when Joseph died and he said, Look, I've been living in Egypt for a long time. And let me tell you all something. I may walk like an Egyptian, but I'm an Israelite. I'm an Israelite, and when I die, I don't care how long it takes. I want you to take me back, and I want you to bury me in the land of Canaan. I want you to bury me with my fathers. Oh, and let me tell you, it took a long time. It took centuries. But I tell you, one day, they dug up the bones of Joseph, and they transported him, and they buried him in the land of Israel. And, and, and it was, it, why? Because it's a curse for an Israelite to be, to be buried in a foreign land. I want you to see that Elimelech made a choice. He made a choice to leave the house of bread and praise. He made a choice to sojourn in the countryside. He made a choice to continue here. But I want you to see here, he didn't make this choice. His wife made the choice. So now not only is he making choices, now the wife is following suit. Because the leader of the home led his family down his, down his path. So now she's making these choices. I want you to see that the family is being cursed. The judgment of God is hanging over them. And let me tell you something, their disobedience to the word of God is becoming more and more permanent. And now we have a man that is born, that is buried in a pagan land. I want you to see number five, that they got married there. The Bible says, and they took them wives of the women of Moab. The one was Orpah, and the other name, and the name of the other was Ruth. So now things go from bad to worse. 
Now things go from bad to worse because, you know, the number one reason why you weren't to go to Moab was because one day your boys are going to grow up and they're going to see some Moabite women and their hearts are going to go thump, thump, thump and they're going to say, wilt thou? And they'll say, thou wilt, and they're going to get married. And then what's going to happen is you're going to have the Feast of Jehovah. You're going to have the Feast of Jehovah and the sons are going to bring the daughters-in-law to the Feast of Jehovah and they're going to worship the true God of Israel and feast and worship God. But then the next week is going to be the Feast of Chemosh. And so then the sons are going to be uh, expected to go to the Feast of Chemosh because after all, isn't keeping peace in the family the most important thing? No. Oh, no, obedience is the obedience to the word of God is the most important thing. That's what the most important thing is. So not only here is he buried here, but now his sons are marrying to Moabitess women. Hey, you know, if you would went back in time and told Elimelech before the famine one day that, that he would have his sons marry Moabitess women, he would say, no, sir, that's not true. No true Israelite would do that. You know, we can't sit here today and say, hold on, Brother Brett, hold, hold, slow your road just a second. You know, one of those Moabitess women was a woman named Ruth. Ruth was one of the greatest women who ever lived. Ruth was a hero. Ruth was a great, great woman. One of those, they went down there and they married Moabitess women, but you know, one of them was Ruth. And you know what? You, you, you'd be right. You'd be right one of them was Ruth. And Ruth turned out to be a great, great asset to God. But you know what? The fact that God is merciful and the fact that God is good and the fact that God is gracious doesn't negate the fact that we need to obey the word of God. Doesn't negate the fact. A man fell out of a tree and landed on his feet. Okay? Does that mean me and you should start having lunch in trees? No. Just because one man got lucky doesn't mean we should all start having lunch in trees today. And just because God shows mercy and just because God takes the disobedience of the Elimelech family and from that comes one of the greatest women in world history, that does not mean that me and you should provoke or tempt the goodness of Almighty God. God can, sometimes God can take our disobedience and he can use it for his glory, but how much better is it if we obeyed God in the first place? You see the choices here? Choice number one, we can leave the house of bread and, uh, bread and praise. We can go to Moab. We can go to the worldly country. We can sojourn there. But then sojourn turned into continued there. And then they were buried there. And then they were married there. And I want you to see number six this morning. They dwelled there. And the Bible says, and they dwelled there about ten years so we've progressed from sojourning in the world to living in the world. It's no longer a temporary thing. Now, it's a permanent thing. It says they lived there for 10 years. So now what we have is this thing has turned into decades of disobedience. 
And we see again that tragedy strikes again in verse number 5. And Malon and Kilian died, also both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Now all of a sudden in verse 6 we're in a crisis. We're in a crisis. Why? Because after 10 years of marriage, these boys have not produced an heir. These, 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 these men that were these wives, they had not produced any sons. They had not produced any children. There was no one to, to carry on the family name. There was no one to take care of Naomi when she got old. And what we're seeing here is the death of a family. We know that widows have a hard time in today's society. That's nothing compared to the hard time widows had in the Bible. Nothing. They could not find anyone to care for them. They could not find anyone to take care of them. They were in a bad, bad place, a widow was, in the Bible. But you know what? We see here that this family, every step of the way, they disobeyed the Word of God. And what are they doing now? They're reaping what they sow. But it didn't happen instantly. It happened step by step by step by step. If you would have went back in time, if you would have told Elimelech all these things, you know what Elimelech would have probably said? <laughs> Me? An Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, living in Moab? No, not, not, not going to happen. Uh, my boys married the Moabitess women? I'm sorry. You're mistaken. Me buried in a foreign land? No Israelite would allow that. That's all wrong. That's not going to happen. But you see the steps. First he left the house of bread and praise. Then he sojourned in the country. Then he continued there. To was, they, they were, he was buried there. His sons got married there. The next thing you know, they lived there. And it started because I don't need the house of praise. I don't need the house of bread. I don't need the local church. And that's where it started. One day... Famine is coming in your life. And no, I'm not talking about a financial battle. No, I'm not talking about a medical battle. What I'm talking about is a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle is looming in your life. Now, when this battle comes, what are you going to do? Now, man, today, today's a good day. We're in the house of God. We're sitting on padded pews. We've got Bibles in our laps. We've got the AC on in February. Praise the Lord. You know, today it's a good day. It's a good day in the house of God. But let me ask you a question. What about five years from now? Where are we going to be five years from now? You see, first it starts with leaving the house of bread and praise. And then you sojourn in the world. And then you continue in the world until one day you look around and you've been dwelling in the world for the last 10 years. And you've wasted all that time serving God. Christian, you need church. You need it. You've got to have it. Now, I'm not telling you this to tell you that you need to uh, try to browbeat you into joining this church. What I am telling you, you need church. 
You got to have it. It was not man's idea. It was God's idea. And there's a reason for it. Now, it's not all you need. If church is the only place you get your spirituality, you'll never truly get close to God. But there is no way you can get close to God if you don't go to church. Where does it start? Where does this progression start? Where does it start out for this family? This family, they end up in ruin and they end up in destruction. And they look around one day, we'll just temporarily be in the world. We'll be here indefinitely. And then before you know, they're getting married in the world and buried in the world. And they're dwelling in the world. They're living in the world. And their life is ruined. And their family's gone. And their kids are in jail and hooked on drugs. And they're looking around at all this destruction and labor waste in their family and they can look back because the decision they made that said you know what I don't need to go to church today every head bowed every eye closed